Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. A swing and a high fly ball. This could be trouble. It's at the wall. And it's a gunner. Welcome to Sports on a Sunday Morning. America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back. Sports on a Sunday morning continues. Cardinal baseball at 2.15 today against the Milwaukee Brewers. Cards win. They are in the playoffs. Mike Schilt telling us last hour Dylan Carlson will back clean up in his lineup today. Big game today. Austin Gomber starts. Bullpen at the ready. It's also an NFL Sunday and the former voice of the NFL team here in town, Steve Savard, longtime KMOV news anchor who uh, was actually laid off uh, not long ago. Uh, We talked a little bit about that on this show, the Garage Happy Hour. And in this part, we do touch on that team. I haven't even said their name yet, James. I've said it, the NFL team. But they are the Rams. They are no longer in St. Louis. But at a time when they were Super Bowl champions and they went back to another Super Bowl two years later, they were the team in town. With all respect to the St. Louis Cardinals, who were just kind of getting themselves back together into a playoff mode, and the Blues were a very good team at that time, the Rams were the talk of the town without question and the voice of the Rams since 2000, Steve Savard. They earned it. I mean, you know, you remember 1998 was a bad year. and They were bad and boring. And here comes Mike Martz. Here comes Torrey Holt. Here comes Adam Timmerman. Uh, here comes the trade for Marshall Falk. And Isaac Bruce stays healthy. And then it's magic, even though Trent Green went down. I mean, we, I don't want to relive it. Everybody knows the story. But, you know, Tom, I tell people all the time how fortunate I was. I stepped into my first two seasons broadcasting NFL games. But I stepped into two 500-point seasons when the Rams were the toast of the NFL, when even when they lost the game, it was a special Sunday. You never took your eyes off the, off the field. And some of the greatest advice I ever got was from the great Jack Buck. One day over at the ballpark, about a week after it was announced that I was going to be the, the play-by-play voice, Jack had come out after, I guess he took the break after, what, the second inning, and Mike went, went to the mic, and he sought me out. And he says, hey, you want to sit down for a minute? I said, great. You know, you don't you don't pass up a chance at that point to talk to Jack. And I'd gotten to know him a little bit over the eight years I'd been in town. But 
he gave me some advice and I just, I gobbled it up. And I, and to this day, I still remember a couple of things he said. He says, you know, you strike me as a guy that'll prepare and I know you'll have notes and you'll have, just remember, you're probably not going to use 90% of what you prepare for because the game's going to unfold on you. And he said, here's the piece of advice. You're doing radio, not TV. Never take your eyes off the field. And uh, it was certainly great advice and spot on for the greatest show on turf because on Sunday afternoons, they rolled into every stadium and just thought it doesn't matter what those guys do. That was the beauty of what Mike Martz did. He instilled a confidence and this, and maybe it's certainly a swagger and maybe some arrogance that those, those 53 guys or 45 that day believed that they were going to win the game, no matter what the other team did. And um, he didn't sweat the small stuff. Now that on the back end of that, the other, the, the other end of the spectrum, I had two 500 point seasons to start and a good run but when we left the Georgia Dome, Tom Ackerman, on, in January of 2004, after Michael Vick and Warwick Dunn had run for 327 yards in the Rams defense in the NFC Divisional Playoff game, little did I know that that would be the last playoff game that I would call for 11 more seasons. In fact, we didn't have another winning season. There was not one winning season, and 2004 wasn't winning. You remember, that was the year they beat the Seahawks three years in a row. And the week before the loss in Atlanta was the was a was the third win of the year at Seattle. Um, but if you'd have told me then that I would get eleven more years broadcasting that team's games and I would never call a playoff game, I would have said, "I'll I'll I'll bet I'll bet everything I have on that." So, yeah, there were some long seasons uh, in the middle after two thousand four. There is no doubt about it. I I was at that game also. I was covering that game for KMOX in the Georgia Dome. That place was insane. Michael Vick ran all over the Rams, and it was uh, it's it's hard to imagine that it was that. But the window does close very quickly uh, in this league, and, and certainly in sports, you soak it in while you can. And you had uh, you had such a run, um, and I do want to get into the Rams departure in just a minute. And then I'm going to circle back to some other stuff, but you mentioned DeMarco Farr, great, great man. Um, I, I know that uh, we, we loved listening to him. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody out. You know, my, Malcolm Briggs was great on the sideline, but I want to concentrate on Jim Hannafin for a minute because um, you're talking about one of the all time great, not only people in sports, but he's up there with some of the great coaches in sports. There's no question he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, he's the greatest offensive line coach of all time. But, man, what a treat. And what uh, – I'm sure – because I'm in this the one, two, three club uh, yeah. that um, right now we're not meeting because of COVID, but we would meet uh, at noon on Mondays. And Jim Hannafin is in the group, and we'd meet at the pasta house, and he'd show up. And when the topic got to football and we turned it over to Jim, the whole place went silent. Mm -hmm. You just wanted to hear Hanny and you just never knew. I can't repeat what he said. Whatever came out of his mouth was just golden. I mean, that had to have been just an amazing time for you. It was really special. I just wished him a happy 87th birthday. Talked to him on Tuesday. And he, he, to this day, he and my mother uh, were the only, are the only people on earth who ever really always call me Steven. It just never seemed right unless it was my mom. But when I hear Steven, when, when, the gravelly Irish tone voice says it. It seems natural. Um, it, it, it's one of the time being back in, you know, you know, the, the perks of being in your hometown. The, the first one is that your parents, you know, the pleasure your parents derive from listening to you. For me, it was five nights a week watching our kid do sports or, or, or news and then listening to the games called. But another perk is getting to know so many of them, so many of the men that influenced me to want to play pro football growing up in this town. And Jim Hannafin certainly right up there among them. 
when he was coming to town and Dick Vermeil had announced his coaching staff in 97, I was doing an interview at Dan Dero's house. And Dan says, have you met Hannafin? I said, no, but I feel like I know him. He says, you'll, you'll know what I mean if you, if you get to know him. He is the ultimate lumberjack. And he is a lumberjack. I mean, in, in every sense of the word. And what a pleasure. The guy was had boundless energy as a coach. Um, I see him out there at, at age 60-something on, on the fields of Macomb after 205-degree-day practices. He's on his hands and knees working with, remember Willie Jones, the big tackle from Grambling, yeah. raw guy. And he ended up playing with Kansas City and being a starter, and I think a lot of that had to do with what Jim Hannafin was doing. But he's on his hands and knees in 100-degree weather after two hours, and I'm feeling terrible about showing up and trying to ask him a question and interview him for a story I was doing for Channel 4 that night. And he said, oh, Stephen, whatever you need, whatever you need. So for us to become partners later down the road, and I will tell you this story about Mike Martz. When, when Hanny retired from coaching, Mike Martz made it his mission to make sure that Jim Hannafin was part of our broadcast team. And he would call me and Jim Stassi once a week, all the offseason. We'd say, he doesn't have a contract yet, but it'll get done. He says, I want it done. I want Hannafin on that broadcast team. And I said, we want him on the broadcast team. Um, everybody loves Jim. And, and Tom, Jack was popular. DeMarco was popular with people across the NFL. But I'm going to tell you something. When Jim Hannafin was my partner for three years, we had more NFL VIPs, coaches, former players, crawling all over us <laughs> to get to Hanny and spend 10 minutes. I don't know how many times I just vacated the booth in the pregame show for about two hours because – Everybody wanted to see NFL royalty. And a, a very uh, poignant moment was we occurred in Arizona in 2006, his first year, his first full year with me. You know, he filled in for he, after Jack took, got ill in 05. But in 2006, we were in Arizona. And we're about an hour away from kickoff. And all of a sudden, Bill Bidwell walks into the booth. And he says, is uh, Jim Hannafin here? And I said, yes, Mr. Bidwell, he's down there. And they went down there. They hugged, and I cleared everybody out of the room. I took the engineer, and I said, let's get out of here. And I think that was the first real long conversation that uh, Bill Bidwell had had with him since he fired him in 1985. And I can guarantee after watching this, he regretted having to fire Jim Hannafin. And they talked for about 45 minutes. I came back in, and Hanny had – they hugged, and then I let Hanny decompress for about five minutes, and I said, that, that looks special. And he had tears in his eyes. He says it was special. Um, that's the kind of impact he had in the NFL. And then later, I got to tell the story, later in that game, the ultimate Jim Hannafin broadcast moment. We still laugh hysterically about this. First of all, as you know, Jim's vernacular is very colorful. So the busiest guy on Sundays in those three years was the kid that we were paying minimum wage to back in the studio to hit the dump button. Okay? <laughs> and Jim always had a, a, a – he always had – just the right timing when I would pause during a disastrous play to send in. And his favorite word to punctuate uh, was a four-letter word that began with S. And he'd say, oh, blank. Uh -huh. Snap. Shotgun snap. Over Bulger's head. Oh. So we'd run a break, and we'd say, Hanny, you did it again. He'd go, what? What did I do? I said, you cussed again. He goes, no, I didn't. So Jim Stassi put a loop, for, loop together for him at the end of the year. 25 times that year, he had said, oh, blank. <laughs> we finally believed it. But in that game, you probably recall this game. Kurt Warner's quarterback for the Cardinals, Mark Bulger for the Rams. The Rams are holding a slim one-point lead late in the game. They're about their own 30-yard line. And Mark Bulger loses the handle on a handoff. And the Cardinals recover inside the 30. Now, Neil Rackers, St. Louis guy, mm -hmm. at that point, and I tease Neil all the time, 
about this game. He had he hadn't missed inside of forty yards or fifty or forty yards, I think, for like since back to Aquinas Rosary. Or, you know, I mean, I think it was his junior year in high school last time he missed. Yeah. So we go to break and we're all down and we're thinking this game's over. And Hannafin all of a sudden says, "Hey, enough, enough of this crying stuff." And he didn't say stuff. Yeah. He said, "What's good for the goose is good for the gander." And we were stunned and we said, "What in the hell are you talking about?" He said. <laughs> We fumble to them, they'll fumble it back to us. And I said, Jimmy, what are you smoking here? I said, Kurt Warner's going to take, going to hand the ball off twice. Neil Racker's going to come in, and we got a long ride home. So we come back on, and the unthinkable happens. Kurt Warner's pulling out from under center. His pulling guard steps on his foot. They lose the connection with the running back. The Rams recover. Hannafin, and I lose my mind. It's just an awful call. I just got caught up in the emotion of the moment. It was just unbelievable that he had predicted this. And Hannafin jumps up and screams, I told you, I told you, I took, I'm cramping up, I'm cramping up. And he grabs his hamstring, I'm cramping up. I'm <laughs> and I plow through, and it became, and I, the next day I had, I had uh, national radio programs calling me, wanting to know what the heck happened during the call and why didn't I stop? Was I worried about my partner? I said, I wasn't worried about my partner. He's grabbing his hamstring. He wasn't grabbing his heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, it, that's, that's a moment we all still laugh about from 2006. Oh, that's so good. I remember I was, I traveled to all the games in 06 for KMOX and I, there was some game where someone texted me and said, Hannafin just cursed on the air. And I was like, which time? I mean, who cares? <laughs> it's, it happens. I mean, it's, you know, uh, but I say I really feel like that was like he was reliving being in a timeout on the sideline. He's rallying the team like, hey, listen, okay. I mean, they, they, they'll fumble right back to us. You just keep executing. You know, I mean, that, he loved the game. Like, I, I miss, I do miss having an NFL team because. It was a boost to our ego. It felt really good. I just didn't want any more. Now that I think about it, I, I don't want an NFL team run by that person or honestly the league that the way that it's run right now, it just, uh, uh, the, I, I, I still pay attention to the NFL, but I, the whole thing still leaves a sour taste. It's, it's really tough. Uh, I feel for the alumni, of course, St. Louis football Cardinals, who I love, they had to go through it. Now the, the Rams had such a great run and all these great names that we've mentioned, Warner, Falk, Holt, Bruce, Pace, you know, and, and many more don't really have, they should be celebrated every year. But I feel mostly for the fans because they really got a raw deal, Steve. I mean, they are, or should I say Seve, which uh, Jack called you so, so many times, they, they really got a raw deal. Well, when I get called Seve, it still means a lot because that means somebody identifies me through my uh, work on the Rams broadcast and with Jack. So I'm, I love hearing people call me Seve. I, uh, I talked to a guy. I was at Golf Galaxy last week, and a guy engaged me, and he says, uh, "Are you a Rams fan?" I said, "No, I can't root for the team." I said, "I still have many great friends and people I respect in the organization, and they understand." I mean, I, um, but I can't, I can't ever root for the Rams, and I, and I don't. Um, and I, but he was, to your point, Tom, he was a PSL holder. His family was the whole time they were here. You know, God bless those people who. You know, they, they were the ones. And when they left, Tom, I didn't really believe. I really thought until until the NFL relocation guideline uh, document paper was released, I really believed they would be here. And I kind of dismissed it because I was conflicted. I didn't want to get caught in. I had a job to do no matter what. 
but on December 9th, when they released the fantasy world uh, that was written about why they were leaving and, and why they asked the NFL to leave and, and some of the stuff that just wasn't even close to true. Um, that's when it sunk in for me and I became really conflicted. Um, but when they left, I, I went really silent for, for a, a couple of reasons. Number one, I didn't want anybody to think it was about me. Okay. Of course, I'm losing a job that I love that was good for me personally, professionally, financially. But you know what? I always said it was a privilege, no matter if they finished 15 and one or one and 15, there are only 32 of those jobs in the world. And, and I took it seriously and I was paid to do it and paid well to do it. So don't worry about me. And I didn't want to be disrespectful to the people who in the organization were torn with a terrible decision who were from here, but had to decide whether or not to, to continue in that job and move to LA. And I felt bad for the PSO holders. I felt bad for the business owners downtown who, who, who relied on that Sunday income and for those seasonal workers. Uh, who needed a second paycheck You needed that was important to them. So I went quiet because I didn't want it to be about me when I really felt they were the victims. And the other thing is I had Sports Illustrated calling me. I had Bill Simmons, The Ringer calling. I had three big national publications wanting to talk to me. I declined because I thought I was in a no-win situation. If I just went overboard and hammered Stan Kroenke, then to everybody outside St. Louis, I'm going to be a whiny you-know-what. And if I don't go far enough, then I thought people in St. Louis would think, well, you're not loyal enough to this. But uh, and I don't know whether or not uh, I would have gone out there if I told they, they would have wanted me to come out there. I think I probably might have. But it was never an option for me. About two weeks after that announcement, I quietly called a couple of department heads that I had great respect for and worked with and just said, hey, I wish you luck out there. It's not for me. I don't like the way this was handled, but I've enjoyed working with you. The good news for them is their play-by-play guy, J.B. Long, is outstanding. I mean, he is absolutely outstanding, and I've said this from the start. They haven't missed me. The right decision was for the Rams to start over out there and for me to stay in St. Louis, but I never wanted it to be about me because it was a blessing and a privilege to have that job for 16 years. That is Steve Savard. What a class act he is. Part of our Garage Happy Hour, every Thursday at 5.30, we have a new guest on Facebook and Twitter. We do it live. Every single week. And Steve Savard, the former KMOV anchor and voice of the Rams, joined us for it, and he was terrific. If you want to see the entire interview, just go to the KMOX Sports Facebook page. It's all right there. Uh, another guest coming up this Thursday. I haven't announced it yet because I'm still working to confirm this person. And if I can get this person, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, they all are fun. They really are. So that's uh, coming up. Next on the radio, we will have John Mosellock. He's our next guest at 1130. A couple things to take care of before that. And when we come back, we will keep an eye on baseball and what's happening around Major League Baseball with the playoff scenario. We'll kind of go through that with you a little bit more. John Mosellock at 1130 and then waiting at 1145. Eli Drinkwitz, right after his game against Alabama last night, is turning around and joining us on KMOX's Sports on a Sunday morning. It'll be great to have him. I'm Tom Ackerman. It's 1124. Back after this. From KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. On America's Sports Voice. KMOX. Tom Ackerman back with you. John Mosellock in just a few minutes. It bears repeating what the Cardinals scenario is for people just tuning in and getting ready for the game today. First of all, the game's a little bit later today. It's a 2-15 start today against the Brewers. Cardinals are 29-28. and 28. The Brewers are 29-30. and 30. So here's the situation. If the Cardinals win this game against the Brewers, they are in the playoffs. 
if the Cardinals lose this game, but the Giants also lose, the Cardinals are in the playoffs. If the Cardinals lose this game and the Giants win, the Cardinals are facing a doubleheader against Detroit. They would get two shots to win a game to clinch. So if they would get that 30th victory of the season, they would be in. So really, the Cardinals control their own destiny here. They win today. They are in the playoffs. If the season ended right now, they'd be the five seed against the Padres. But that's just put that aside for a moment. Cardinals need to beat the Brewers today. Also, Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager, telling us last hour that Dylan Carlson will back cleanup today. And this is a lineup that will not have Matt Carpenter, and it will not have Brad Miller in it. The lineup is Wong, Edmund, Goldschmidt, Carlson, Molina, DeYoung, Fowler, Bader, O'Neal, with Austin Gombers, the pitcher. John Mosellock is next. Cardinals president of baseball operations joins us on sports on a Sunday morning. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to sports on a Sunday morning. On America's Sports Voice. KMOX. What a great call there from Polo Asensio on Cardinals Spanish Radio along with Benji Molina as Yadier Molina hits number 2,000 on his terrific career. That's the call of the game sponsored by Golden Oak Lending. Imagine paying off all your credit cards. It can happen. Call Golden Oak Lending today at MLS 114-937. We played John Rooney's call earlier. That call from Polo Asensio. We're joined now by Cardinals President of Baseball Operations John Mosellock. And before we talk about what's facing your team today, just to go back in time a little bit to that moment, John, what a moment for number four and his great family. Oh, without a doubt. Um, you know, I think this year we, where he caught his two, 2000th game to now his 2000th hit, um, it just shows you, you know, his durability and the length of his career. And, you know, take, take a, you know, don't take away from how good he is as a catcher, but then just to be able to do it over this amount of time is, is something that uh, I think everybody has great appreciation for. And, you know, really happy for him. I know that meant a lot to him. I hope he's like chasing like hits 2002, three and four today, but um, you know, seriously, he was, uh, he, he was, he was focused on that and he got it. And um you know, it's 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 an amazing accomplishment. It really has been great to see his smile on those accomplishments, what they mean to him, and the smile on the face of Adam Wainwright and what he's been able to do. John, you really soak it in if you're a Cardinals fan or a member of this organization. They are legends playing right in front of us. Really, some career, these two. Very rare that you see a pitcher and catcher run careers together. Well, that's right. And, you know, look, the last 20 years, we've been able to experience a, a lot of, of great performances, a lot of great players. And even throughout that, none of them have quite had the length that you're seeing from both Yachty and, and Adam Wainwright. And you almost have to go back to like the Aussie days of someone that was with a club for that long of a period. And so, just seeing what what they've been able to accomplish over their careers 
and having the, the time to reflect on what they've meant to this organization, um, needless to say, uh, they'll both be wearing red jackets someday. And, you know, what they have meant to the organization is something that we're internally grateful for. And uh, their long-term future as players and where they play is probably a discussion for another day because I do want to concentrate on today with you. Today is the day. They have a lot to play for. But before I get to that also, I wanted to say this. This is an accomplishment to get to today. I mean, this is that you made it through the regular season. It was not easy. There were some tough times for sure for everybody around Major League Baseball, especially for the Cardinals and the Marlins who both dealt with outbreaks, but you made it, John, to, to today. And uh, I have to think that that is, um, is an accomplishment for Major League Baseball and for your club. It is. Um, I mean, to be able to, to put ourselves in a position to win one game out of the next three to get in the postseason is, is something we'll take a lot of pride in if we can do it. Hopefully we do it today. Um, you know, the one thing I would, would tell people that when they, when they look back at this year or they might find some frustration with this club is, is really two things. I've been kind of misrepresenting this over the last, like, 60 days. I keep saying that we've really only had our club together for five games before we had the outbreak. And that really isn't fair because we were missing some key parts of our bullpen who had COVID upon reporting. And so the team we envisioned – playing with we've never actually put it on the field um we've come close but never have and then the other part that that people have to realize is is just the fatigue that that these guys are under the the the, the everyday grind um the amount of double headers the the no off days and and it's just been a lot of baseball and and when people ask me or complain about our offense to me the one thing I'd ask them to do is just take a step back and, and, and understand that this was not normal. We weren't able to to manage the, the day-to-day lineup as, as we might have in a regular season, um, you know, trying to play who we feel is hot, trying to play who we feel is fresh, um, doing it in a, in a very delicate environment. And so you take those two points and to even be in the conversation of, of the postseason is something that we all take a lot of pride in. I mean, certainly we'd want to do that. We want to have a, a deep run into October, but you know, this is a, this is team is 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 pretty tired. Um, they've been through a lot, and you know, candidly, I think the thing I'm most proud about is is that we were able to get here. Um, and you know, not much has been said or written about it, but it's been it hasn't been easy, and and so to to. To accomplish that, I think, is really amazing. Well, I wanted to start with that for sure, and, and I know that it has been a lot. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that people don't know, and I appreciate you uh, articulating that. You know, it's easy to point fingers. Uh, I think it's it's as uh, a story as old as time is to point at the hitting coach. I think we it seems like we've talked about it throughout our time together, John, talking about the Cardinals on, on the air uh, the hitting coach takes a lot of criticism. Uh, actually, the manager takes a lot of criticism, too, for various things. But uh, that's that's an easy thing to do because that's their position. Uh, I, ultimately, it, it comes down to the decision of the front office as to what the future is for everybody, for the manager on down, isn't it? Well, that's a, uh, an interesting take. But, like, we're much more collaborative in all of that. And... 
and and really more to the point we we don't we don't look at it as as it's one individual's fault for something going on and we try to to tackle all our problems all our issues as a group to find solutions and you know ultimately someone does have to make a, a final decision on something but you know look jeff albert was brought in here um not to be a uh, a light switch. It wasn't like to just change our hitting around in, in a day and say, we've done it. He's been on board for uh, not quite two years now. We feel from a systematic and process standpoint, he's making the, the type of inroads that we wanted to see. Um, we're a very process-based organization. We felt from a, a hitting standpoint, we needed that type of strategy moving forward, and he's been working on implementation. Unfortunately, this year, we weren't able to see it in, in, in sort of its full magnitude at the minor league level because we didn't have the minor leagues. And, and part of Jeff's responsibility was to, you know, rebuild our staff at the minor league level, help uh, uh, create a process and a strategy throughout. Now, we were able to implement it down at, at Springfield at our secondary camp, but, you know, unfortunately we weren't able to touch the majority of hitters we were hoping for. So I think everybody just sort of needs to take a step back um, we're not going to make a knee-jerk decision on this. We, we really believe um, in the direction we are heading. Um, I'm sure people would like to see better results, um, as all of us would. But, you know, ultimately, this is a, a long-view play, and, and that's what we'd like to see happen. I appreciate you explaining that and talking about it. And also, uh, Mike Schilt has been very, very good on KMOX in the 10 o'clock hour explaining his decision-making. And today, uh, John, he revealed to us that he is going to have Dylan Carlson back clean up. Uh, it basically, it comes and you know, Schilte, he's going to keep this very simple. He's given us the best at-bats. We put the person in there who's going to give us the best at-bats, and that has been Dylan Carlson. So we're going to give him as many of those at-bat opportunities as we can is basically what he's saying there. Yeah, and no, Dylan has been swinging the bat well. And I think, you know, when he was able to take a, a little bit of that respite down in uh, Springfield, he was able to catch his breath, take a deep breath, and and realize that he doesn't have to put all the weight of the world on himself. And, and so – Right now, I, I think, you know, you're seeing a, a much more competitive at-bat from him, and, and that's great. I mean, we need that. Look, we just need to string some hits together. We need smart at-bats, and, and, you know, hopefully we see it today. I think, like, right now, the mindset of this group is is just try to win today. I mean, that's what's most important. And, you know, whatever lineup we throw out there, the confidence in the players we're using is high. And so, you know, ultimately uh, we see some success today. Well, I look forward to it. I wish you the absolute best, and I appreciate all these visits on sports on a Sunday morning. Let's see what the team can do today, win, and you're in. This is what uh, you play the game for, opportunities like this to get into the postseason. All the best to you, John. Thanks for the visit on KMOX, and we'll catch up with you real soon. All right, thanks, Tommy. Thank you. John Mozalek with us on KMOX. It's 1143. Eli Drinkwitz, head coach of the Missouri Tigers, is on deck. His team took on Alabama last night. And I, you know what? Well, well, we'll talk to him about it. I mean, I, it was a, uh, a, a mismatch on paper, and it turned out to be a 38-19 loss. Eli Drinkwitz is next on KMOX. KMOX Sports. Here's the pitch. Welcome back to Sports on a Sunday Morning. Oh! 
on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. Welcome back to the show. It's 1148 on Sports on a Sunday morning, and we're joined by the head coach of the Missouri Tigers, Eli Drinkwitz, as the Tigers lost to Alabama last night, 38-19 in Columbia, the number two team in the nation, improves to 1-0, and Eli Drinkwitz in his first game as the Missouri Tigers coach loses in the SEC. But, Coach, I want to start with this, if you don't mind. By the way, good morning. I, I should morning. say good morning first. Uh, great to be with you. Uh I covered uh, Gary Pinkle throughout his career at Missouri, and I remember in 2001, I don't want to get this wrong, and I'm not going to misquote him either, but Texas was ranked in the top five in the country. They came into Columbia, and they won the game by a similar score, 35-16. And I remember this as clear as day, being in the press conference afterwards, and somebody in the room asked him a question along the lines of, can you take some positives out of hanging with Texas in this game? And you, granted, you lost the game by 19 points, but you hung in. And Pinkle turned and looked and said, that's the issue here. We need to change the culture around here. We want to win these football games. And I believe that the culture at Missouri changed at that very moment. He became the winningest coach in Missouri history. How would you, in a very long question and story, but how would you look at uh, a game in which you lost to Alabama 38-19 from that standpoint? Yeah, I mean, we beat ourselves. Um, before we can win a championship, we got to keep from beating ourselves. Offensively, we turned the football over um, and had some just boneheaded plays at quarterback that, that uh, we got to eliminate. Defensively, they were 9 for 14 on third downs. Uh, which is I mean, you got to get off the field on third downs, and especially when it's third and long. Um, and then special teams, we had a turnover. So those things are self-inflicted wounds that we have to, to correct. And if you're going to beat a, a team uh, like Alabama or uh, any SEC school, you, you can't beat yourself first. And so that that's the first and foremost thing. Um, and, and then after that, we got to make some plays and, and uh, tip, tip the hats. And then they got some good players. Um, but but we got good players too, and we we got to do a better job as coaching staff, making sure that that uh, we eliminate the self inflicted wounds. Uh, you did make that decision uh, to uh, play your quarterback, Sean Robinson. Uh, what went into that decision, Coach Drinkwitz? Yeah, I mean, I just felt like he gave us the best chance, uh, you know, with his feet and just his experience playing those games and. And uh, felt like he would be able to help us move the football with some of our quarterback runs, uh, and knew that we were going to play Connor and, and let him come in there and, and do some of the things that he felt comfortable doing. And both of them good. The, the good was both of them led scoring drives. The bad was you know both of them took sacks and and uh, you know made some plays that that we got to correct. And and that's what we'll do this week. Uh, Bader, uh, Beatty, I was I should say received the touchdown pass from Robinson, a 54-yarder in the fourth quarter. Tigers. Uh, lost the game 38-19 to Alabama, a team that we all know very well. We've watched over the years. Uh, your team, shorthanded. Uh, I know that uh, you're not making excuses necessarily, but what was your depth situation yesterday, and how did you handle that? I mean, it is what it is. Uh, you know, we we have some depth issues. We have some uh, COVID-related issues. We got some NCAA penalties. But uh, it is what it is. You know, we, we, we feel confident with the guys that we've been practicing and playing. I think we had 67 scholarship players available. And, and so, uh, you know, whoever gets, goes out on the football field, we, we expect to compete. And, uh, you know, I'm proud of our guys for fighting. What about your team defensively? You have a lot of new faces on that defense. What did you think about it? 
Well, I thought, you know, for true freshman in a straight straw and J.C. Carlisle to get in and go against some of the best wide receivers in the country, I thought those guys held their own and, and got to compete against in a high-level opportunity. I thought Martez Manuel, for making his first start, really showed up in a positive way. I think he had three TFLs. Um, um, so Trey Williams had a nice sack, uh, forced fumble. Um, so, I mean, I think there were some really bright spots. Nick Bolton, I think, he had his eight tackles, which was good. But there's a lot of things we got to improve on. Like I said, we got to get pressure on the quarterback. I mean, nine for 14 on third down conversion is not going to win football games. Bolton is some tackler, isn't he? Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah he, he's got great instincts and, and does a nice job. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, so back to your special teams, is this uh, basically you know bringing in new starters, new people, and first game? Again, no excuses. I know you want to be better, but uh, how would you evaluate that just as a whole, talking about all, all aspects, uh, return game, kicking, and punting? Well, I mean, I thought our, our uh, kickoff team was good. Our, our Sean Ketting kicked all of them out of the end zone, uh, which was positive. Um, you know, our punt did a nice job of keeping the ball out of returner's hands. Um, but punt return, we, we dropped a punt and that, that cannot happen. Uh, not, not in any game, not in, uh, any game. And so we got to correct that. We should have fair caught that ball anyway. Shouldn't have been trying to return it in that situation. It's just an example of doing too much and, and, uh, we got to get better at it. Did you like the vibe on your sideline? It sort of felt like that your group, even though they were down late, were still having a good time, still encouraging, still fired up? Yeah, I mean, I thought our guys, you know, continued to play. Our core value number one is always compete. It uh, doesn't matter what the scoreboard says. Every play is an opportunity to create an identity for yourself and, and put it on tape what you're going to be about. And that's the most important play you have is the current play. Um, so, you know, that that for me is a given um, that's got to be a given in Mizzou football moving forward. You know, just the fact that we fought with them is not good enough. That that's got to be a given. Uh, we we got to find a way not to beat ourselves so we can win these football games. Uh, we didn't come here to, to to play close. We came here to win a championship, and we got to start moving in that direction. And that starts today in meetings. And did you like what I said there early about Gary Pinkle and and relaying that story to you? That's does that sound familiar? Yeah, I mean, I appreciate Coach Pinkle and everything he brings to our program. He told me uh, when you were hired that day, he said, you know, why can't we win 10 games around here? Why can't we win 11 games around here? We can do that. We have done that. Uh, he is uh, hes a great face for the, for the program, and I know he's a big, big supporter of yours. This is a final thing for you. What was it like uh, in that stadium? And, again, we're all dealing with this across the board, but you had 11,000 or so fans. Uh, did you take some time to notice the surroundings, being in that stadium, coaching the Missouri Tigers for the first time uh, in that SEC stadium? You know, honestly, um, I, I looked around right before kickoff, and, and then I got to work. I really didn't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. And Once the game kicked, it was pretty uh, intense for 60 minutes or four hours, however long it all lasted. But uh, – I appreciate all the fans that came and, and showed their enthusiasm and passion for Mizzou football, and, and hopefully we'll get them back here uh, when we play Vanderbilt for homecoming. Appreciate that, and you will do that on October 17th. Until then, two road games for you. The Tigers will be at Tennessee next Saturday for an 11 a.m. kickoff on SEC Network, and they are at LSU on Saturday the 10th. As we keep an eye on the SEC and the Missouri Tigers, we love the fact that Eli Drinkowitz has – uh, taking the time to join us on these Sunday mornings. Coach, thank you so much for this, and good luck against the Vols.
All right. Thank you. Thank you. Eli Drinkwitz, head coach of the Tigers. Mizzou and Alabama last night. It was uh, really nice to see college football, actually, the SEC, a full slate yesterday. Well, thank you for joining us. And coming up next is Cardinal Baseball at 2.15 from a sports standpoint. So just be prepared for that. A 2.15 start for the Cardinals and the Brewers. Cardinals win. They are in the playoffs pregame at 1.20 right here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.